Now, some of you might be nervous when I'm speaking and talking to you like this, but you might say, well, Wally, I'm not an evangelist. I'm not a Reynold Bonk. I'm not a Billy Graham. But I want to say to you this morning, you might not be an evangelist, but God has called each and every one of you to be witnesses for Him. And a witness is different from that of an evangelist. I'm here to equip you and empower you, blow wind in your sails, give you pictures of Jesus that would motivate you into the harvest fields of everyday life and living. I believe the three big mission fields of life is your neighborhoods, your workplace, and the places where you do sporting activities, your hobbies, your, your, your interest groups. Those are places that are mission fields. And so often we've seen the church as a landing strip instead of a launching pad. I want to say to you this morning, if we begin to change our mindset, it's glorious that we gather on a Sunday morning to celebrate Christ. But from Monday to Saturday, we scatter into the week, making a difference for Jesus wherever we go. And I want to encourage you this morning, as I begin to share and teach and encourage, I'll be sharing stories of how easy it is to engage. So often, we think it's a difficult thing to be a witness. I say to people, being a witness for Christ is an overflow of your own personal love relationship with Jesus. I want to say that again. Your, uh, being a witness for Christ is the overflow of your own personal love relationship with Jesus. I know when my two daughters had various different boyfriends, but they're beautiful as time went on. Half of my gray hairs was part of them and the other half other challenges of life. But I remember when Carla fell in love with Brad. It was Brad everything. Brad this, Brad this, Brad this, Brad that. What happened to Dad? Dad was out the picture. And they fell in love, got married. They've been married seven years now. Same with Laura when she fell in love with Nick. It was Nick this, Nick this. At our dinner table, cell phones are a no-no. But though they put it on quiet, it would vibrate. And then I could just see Nick or Brad's name come up. And it, could just, they, it was killing them not to answer the phone. Why? Because what filled their hearts flowed from them. And when we allow Jesus to be the center of our lives, our thinking, our motivations, our everything, guess what's going to come out of you? Guess what's going to come out of you? And that's Jesus. Now, you're very familiar and aware of the portion of Scripture in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus makes this profound statement. He says, you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. The focus over the next couple of weeks is you and I being the salt of the earth. And how do we begin to live salty lives? How can you and I begin to live a life that's meaningful and counting for the king and his kingdom? I want you to see your lives as like a salt cellar. Like a salt cellar. But I want to say to you this morning that the, the Arabic word for salt isn't a noun, it's a verb. It was supposed to be sprinkled out wherever we went. It wasn't, our lives were not meant to be containers of salt alone, but our lives were meant to sprinkle salt wherever we go. Now you and I know what happens when you leave salt 
and there's a bit of moisture, guess what? It gets clogged up. It doesn't flow as it ought to. So what's our normal response when the salt gets clogged? Is you... Now, I'm trusting Holy Spirit will give you some little love pats to help you to begin to be what He's destined and planned for you and I to be. Now, He always does it in such a loving manner and a way that you won't in any way feel condemned or guilty, but I trust equipped and empowered and envisioned. Now, I'd like us to turn to the Gospel of Luke chapter 10, and I'm going to be reading from verse 25 to 37, and then unpacking some truths on how we can live a salty life style. Now, the emphasis on lifestyle, because being a witness is not a night out, another night out, it's not a program, it's not a set of DVDs, I don't have a book, but it's a lifestyle. It's our walking and talking in everyday life with sprinkling salt. Now, we're all very familiar with the Good Samaritan, the story of him, and he beautifully illustrates what it means to live a lifestyle of being a witness. Except I'm going to change his name from being the Good Samaritan to the Salty Samaritan. And how did he sprinkle salt on his journey and how he lived a missional life? Now the Samaritans, some of you might be asking, who are those guys? In 2 Kings 17, the Samaritans' origins were half Jew, half Assyrian, and they were hated and rejected by the Jews. In fact, the Jews saw them as a mixed race. They saw them as just people that weren't, you didn't even bother with. There was real animosity between them. Now, the parable involves six different people. For those that have never read this particular story, six different people all reflecting different walks of life, different attitudes and outlooks. And some of them all of us can identify in some form or fashion. Firstly, there was the expert in the law. There was the Levite and the priest. There was the innkeeper. There was a man who was the victim. And then there was a Samaritan, an ordinary person, a despised outsider who became the hero and example. It's also a type of Jesus, but we can't go into that this morning. But we're wanting to have a look at his life and then how we can live it out in our everyday I'm going to begin reading in verse 25. It says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And to love your neighbor as yourself. Our focus this morning is loving our neighbors, reaching our neighbors, impacting our neighborhoods, impacting our community. Verse 28, you've answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road when he saw the man, and he passed by on the other side. Verse 32, so to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. 
And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to the inn to take care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra you may have. Which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. I believe that Jesus is still asking us the same question today. Who is your neighbor? God asked Cain a question in Genesis, where is your brother? Two big questions I believe God is asking his church. Who is your neighbor? Where is your brother? Our focus this morning is our neighbor. Our neighbors broadly fall into four different categories. The literal next door, across the road, down the street, which is our focus this morning. And then your work neighbors, people that you work with, your colleagues, your peers, your customers. Thirdly, it's your play, which I call your sports whether it's squash or kayaking or running or jogging or walking or whatever, your sports, that's your circle of influence. And then there's the momentary ones on the road of life that it just happened. People call it coincidence, but I believe in God incidence. I don't believe anything happens by chance. I believe everything is ordained by God because I believe my footsteps are ordered by Him. When we begin to start living intentionally and purposefully, life is beautiful. In verse 25, just by way of intro, it says an expert stood on the Lord to test Jesus. Talk about a mismatch. An expert in the law came to test Jesus in whom all wisdom dwelt. Jesus has the answer before you can even type the word Google into your phone or laptop. Here he is trying to test Jesus. He was a lawyer. Jesus is the advocate and the judge of all the earth. But the beautiful thing is, the reason why I brought this out is I don't believe Jesus in any way looked down on him. Jesus never ever presented an attitude of superiority towards him. See, our attitude towards people will determine how we engage with them from our heart. If we come with an attitude of, I've got it all, let me tell you. See, so often we think the gospel is all about telling. I believe a lot of it's about dialoguing. In Colossians it says, let your conversation be seasoned with salt. He asked a question. Guess what? Jesus could have told him the answer, but then Jesus responded by asking him a question. So often we want to tell everybody what we know instead of finding out where they are and then taking them on a relational journey and on that journey showing them Jesus. I want to say to you this morning, I do believe with all my heart that as we begin to build relational bridges with people, there's, there's one or two occasions where, where people have knocked on the door and said they want to know more about Jesus. Most times it's journeying with people to Jesus and then with Jesus. That verse of scripture quoted earlier is Colossians 4 6, let your conversation always be seasoned with grace. 
In verse 27, where Jesus said, it's loving the Lord your God and then loving your neighbor. I want to say the great command precedes the great commission. If we don't have love motivating us into the mission fields of everyday life and living, we become legalistic hard and we beat people with the Bible instead of loving them to Jesus. I want to say to you this morning, it's so important for you to grasp that truth. Who is your neighbor? Can I say this to you this morning? God allows you to choose your friends. He chooses your neighbors. I want to say that again because some of you think God is love. You can't. What, what about my neighbor that parties till the middle of the early hours of the morning or the crazy dogs that don't stop barking? We had a neighbor that used to drink, come to his gate, hoot that his wife had to come out in the middle of the early hours of the morning, open the gate for him. That was his remote device, his wife. And then he'd get a bee in the bonnet of mowing his lawn at three o'clock in the morning. Now you might say, well, what's the purpose? You see, God uses your neighbors to shape you to become more like Jesus, that you can then love them back as he would. See, when you begin to see it from his perspective, is, don't ever see your neighbors as, as, as targets, they're treasures. They're there to help you become more like Jesus. Now some of you will say, well, he wears the scripture, Acts 17, 26. It says he determined the exact times and the exact places where everybody should dwell. So he allows you to choose your friends. He's chosen your neighbors for you. And we've had wild and woolly neighbors. But on our journey, it's been absolutely the greatest joy Shirley and I have had over the years. I'm thinking particularly in Cape Town, because we lived there for 18 years. And now in our current complex, it was in 5 Berwick Road. And I think, uh, Stan, you've been there and visited, Mark. There's 12 folk in our street have come to Jesus and we've journeyed with them and seen God do amazing things. I believe before you can reach your neighbors, you have to meet them. It sounds a simple truth, but so many people live next door or above or down, and they don't even know their neighbors by name. I want to say before you can reach them, you need to meet them and build a relational bridge. Find out who they are, where they are, how they are. Because during this next month of October, we're going to be praying for our neighbors by name. And we're going to be asking the Lord the question, Lord, who is it in our street that you want us to take the next step towards? How can we do that? You might say, well, how do I get to know my neighbors? I say this through friendliness. I believe the fragrance of friendliness has been the greatest door opener I've discovered over the years. In fact, the Bible actually says, when you greet, be the first to greet. So often you want people to greet us. Now let's grow up and let's greet before they do. And you might say, well, I've done it 50,000 times. Did 50,001 times. We need to be proactive and loving. It's the fragrance of friendliness. When we moved into Berwick Road, um, where there was a vacant plot. So first thing, Shirley and I, we used to pray for our community. We prayer walked. We walked all over and prayed. Lord, we've got this vacant plot, and we're so excited who you're going to bring. And our secret prayers, Lord, let them not be a saint. 
but someone who doesn't know you, then we can build a bridge for you to cross. And I remember this couple came and we saw them walking on the plot, so we just dropped, ran over, introduced ourselves, Keith and Sharon. It was so cool. And they showed us the plans, and you know what? We celebrated with them the building of their first home. Can I say to you, so often we think we just got to give them the gospel. No, no, learn to celebrate with people where they are. It begins to open their heart. And if they're going through difficult, challenging times, be there as a shoulder they can cry on. Anyhow, Keith and Sharon, we saw them build their home. We celebrated with them. And then they moved in. We took them a meal. We just befriended them. It was about 18 months, and our journey surely led Sharon to the Lord. Lovely lady. In fact, Sharon is our bookkeeper at Life Changes today. And they put life group leaders. But now Keith was a little more difficult because he had some serious challenges. And he's allowed me to share the story because we're friends. He said, Wally, please, you can. He had carried some issues in his heart. And he loved his dog. And every now and again, his, it was a Labrador about this big, white, blondy kind of a what mousy hair. It's called mischief. Wrong name for a dog. Eh? Anyhow, this dog, the moment it had a gap, it ran out, out the road, down the road. If our garage door was open, into the swimming pool, it just caused havoc. And used to take mischief uh, back home or what have you. Now and again, Keith would come and say, Wally, mischief has run away. Would you come help me look for him? Everything in my head said no. My heart said, okay. <laughs> And I went to go help Keith look for mischief, find the dog, bring him home. I wanted to give it a, a bit of a love tap just to train it not to run away. And I remember the one time I'm by driving up home and there I saw mischief running down the road. And I thought, oh, let me rather bring the dog home now instead of go later with Keith to fetch the dog. So I pull over, I call mischief, come here, open the door, dog jumps in. I'm running home thinking at least I've saved myself half an hour going to go look for the dog. So take the dog out by the scruff of the neck, take the knock on the door, say, Keith, I've got mischief. He opens the door, he's got mischief. <laughs> Somebody else's dog jumped into my car. Oh, Keith looks at me, he says, Wally, I didn't know that you loved me so much that you would bring another dog home thinking it's mischief. So I just let the dog go and say, you've watched Lassie come home on your way. <laughs> what was I doing? I was building a friendship, a bridge. And I remember the time he, he had a swimming pool built. And it was going, not this last drought, the drought before. We had a borehole. I said, Keith, let's join host pipes. We can fill your pool. He said, would you really do that for me? Absolutely. Building the bridge. Building the bridge filled his pool and as time went on there came a time where i felt now was the time now i went keith i believe now's the time and his whole life had been unraveling and he said yes to jesus and they're both deacons in the church serving the lord that's wonderful god what god did why i shared that story with you that was over about three years and so often we went instant instead of journeying with people then there was Richard and Corin up the road. There was a for sale sign. A for sale sign in my community, in my neighborhood, is an invitation call for me to go welcome them into our community and get to know them. 
Have you ever seen a for sale sign like that? So many folk in our church, we won through just by loving them on purpose. Caring, for, because they're moving into a neighborhood thinking, I don't know anybody. Will I be loved? Will I be accepted? Will I be noticed? And we there first. And it was amazing. Uh, uh, Richard and Corin came, Sam and Gabby down the road, Estelle and up the road, and we just had a blast caring for people. Rodney and Selena, my other neighbors, they were challenging. It took 10 years. It took 10 years. He was the grumpiest old man on this planet. He said I could quote him, but he repented and confessed to me. When I'd mow the lawn on a Saturday afternoon, he would yell over the fence and say, Wally, stop, because the static from your lawnmower is affecting me watching television. Cape Town is known for its southeaster. We got trees. The wind just happens to blow the way it does and all the leaves into his yard. Moans at me. It's my fault. I said, if I had a switch to the wind, I would have switched off a long time ago. Our wall that started leaning, he got engineers and wanted to sue us. I said, no, Rod, we'll fix the wall up. 10K later, we fixed the wall up. Grumpy, miserable. And I was just there to love him, to love him, to love him. Tragedy of all tragedies happened. His 18-year-old daughter, granddaughter, granddaughter, 18-year-old, was tragically killed on the West Coast Road. He came and he knocked on the door. He says, Wally, I've got to see you now. Burst out crying. He says, Wally, you're the only friend I've got. I said, I didn't even consider myself as a friend, but that's how he saw me. Had the privilege of sharing faith with him. Wonderfully came to Jesus. Then he invited Shirley and I over for tea and cake. And there, with tears streaming down, he says, Wally, I've got to say sorry to you and Shirley for being the world's worst neighbors. <laughs> Ten years Jesus was using him to build Christ-likeness in me that I could love him back to the Father. That's how God works it. That's how God does it. Our pool, a momentary one. We had a swimming pool built as well. And so we had this guy uh, from Sundance Pools come and he introduces himself and we're going to get that. So of course as a sales rep, they've got to be nice to their potential customers. And so he just says, hey, Wally, what do you do? So I said, well, I'm a pastor. So he says, just out. I'm an atheist. I said, that's cool. How's it going? <laughs> He's never had that. You see, question with question, but there was arrogance. So he said, I suppose, okay. So I said, well, what do you believe in? He says, I don't believe there's a God. So I said, okay, cool. So I said, well, one day when you die and you get buried and thrown in a hole, no hymn, no prayer, no nothing, just a man who was and is no more. He says, he looked a bit stunned. I said, that's what's going to happen when you don't believe in a God. No RIP, nothing. No rest in peace. There's no peace. So I said, Mark, let me tell you what, there's a real Jesus who loves you deeply, passionately, personally. I said, life without him is meaningless. There's a void, but he gives purpose and intentionality to your life. And I shared the gospel in 60 seconds. I've learned that little art that I'll be sharing with you over this course of the month. And he said, okay, thank you, Wally. Signed, and that was it. He was gone. For five years, never heard a word from him. Nothing. Five years almost to the day, I have this phone call, and it's Wally, I I've got to see you. I said, who is it? He said, Mark, 
I said, I'm sorry, Mark, who? I know a few Marks. He said, Mark, the guy I sold the pool to. I sold you the pool. I said, whoa, Mark, what a cool surprise. He says, Wally, I need to see you now. I said, Mark, I'm in meetings, I can't, but tomorrow morning I can. He said, Wally, I just lived my own life, you know, as an atheist. I was having a heart attack, and everything you said to me flooded to my mind. Everything you said. And I want to know this Jesus you're talking about. He came around the next day, shared the gospel with him, but wonderfully saved. And you know what my greatest privilege, pleasure was? Baptizing him in the pool he sold me. How cool was that? That was super cool. That was super cool. Can I say a godly neighbors? Firstly, get to know your neighbors. Secondly, become aware of what's going on in your neighborhood. Please. What happens in my neighborhood matters to me. We've just recently had a, in our complex, um, there was a burglary. And guess what? We're there to support them, to pray for them. Another couple lose their daughter. We're there to encourage. We give flowers, give cards. I go to the funeral. What am I doing? Building the relational bridge of loving them, sprinkling some of Jesus' salt into their hearts. And as opportunity comes, share. What happens in my neighborhood matters to me. What am I looking out for? People that are without Christ, like the going from Jerusalem to Jericho, is going downhill. I'm looking out for people going down. Going down how? It could be relationally. could be through life's tragedies. It could be retrenchment. It could be anything. Those that are stuck in life, look out, listen out. I'm a meerkat. I'm always listening. I'm always looking for those God opportunities. Can I encourage you this morning? God is wanting to release. You know, there was the Levite and there was the priest. I believe at the cross of Calvary, Jesus did away with the Levitical priesthood and he introduced the royal priesthood that operates out of the royal law found in the book of James, the royal law of love. The royal law of love. His presence and His love should mark us as Christians. I remember we were traveling about five, six years ago from Rome to Switzerland, a place called Zuck, where we were ministering there. And as we climbed onto the train, then as I climbed on the train, I saw a nun, but she was dressed in the garb of Mother Teresa. And I said to Shirley, we're going to change seats. I want to talk to this nun. I want to talk to her. And we changed seats. I sat next to her, and she worked with Mother Teresa in Calcutta. How's that? And as we started chatting and talking and, and sharing, I said, tell me about your vows. And we just had five hours of amazing conversation. And then I said, from Calcutta to Switzerland, what are you doing there? She says, no, we work among the prostitutes. I said, how does it work? Prostitutes that have given their lives to, to, to wayward living and you've taken a, a vow of purity. And, and, and how do you two get together? She said, well, Wally, what we do firstly, we walk the streets and we pray for them. Then we get to know them by name. And then she said this profound thing. She said, we stain them with his love. She says, in fact, I've just come back from Rome because one of the prostitutes fell pregnant to have a baby in Switzerland. is exceptionally expensive. was a lot cheaper in Rome. So she had just taken one of them there and was on her way back when we met her. 
I want to say to you, nothing happens by chance. When we're looking for those God opportunities, my third and closing point is step out of your comfort zone. Please, you might have security perimeter fences living in South Africa, but you don't have to let those fences keep you in. You can cross your fences by just having those over-the-fence and driveway conversations. Just finding out who they are, where they are, how they are. I want to say to you, Jesus said, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. You'll always find what you're looking for. If you're looking for those far from God, you find them. We were privileged to serve in a local church in Mauritius for a number of months. And now and again in the afternoon when I had a gap, I would go swim over the reef and then I'd come back and say, Shirley, when I leave the fish I saw X, Y, and Z. And after a couple of weeks, I went and I found an amazing shell. And I brought the shell home. And I then, when I started going swimming, I didn't see the fish. All I saw was shells. And I'd bring back these shells, amazing colors and sizes. Then the one time I went fishing with Cedric, one of the deacons there. And where we went fishing, I lost lure after lure after lure on the reef. And I thought, you know what, next time I go swimming, I'm going to swim there and see if I can find them. I found all my lures, plus a whole lot of other lures. And the Lord says, yes, Wally, you will always find what you're looking for, whether it's fish, whether it's shells, or whether it's lures. If you start looking for those that are far from God, you will find them. You and I have been anointed to do good. Now, uh, uh, is it Liam at the back? Could I ask you to have that little clip ready? And I'm going to play this as I close, and it will speak volumes to you. Look for opportunities to be a blessing to your community. In small little ways, God always amplifies it in their hearts. It really does. Last two months, our garden services, not garden services, refuge services, uh, our, our, our guy that normally does it wasn't. In our complex, there's senior folk, divorced folk, single people. And there's a WhatsApp group that went out, hey, you've got to take your own garbage to the gate, etc. There was an opportunity for me. Text back if you'd like me to help you. Text me back your number and I'll come do it. Friday morning, I'm with my wheelbarrow collecting people's garbage. But you know how that opened doors? They would say, hey, what is, thank you so much for doing that. It was such a kind thing. Doesn't the Bible say it's the kindness of God that leads you to repentance? What kind deeds can you do in your community that builds a relational bridge that the Jesus and you can walk across that bridge and change their lives? Liam, thank you. And then I'm going to close in prayer afterwards. Please let this speak to you. If it's, the lights, if it's possible to 